You're listening to the Becoming Me podcast on the Creative Church Podcast Network, where we share stories of people becoming who they were made to be. My name is Emily Cummins. This week, Tim Williams is sharing his becoming story. Tim is a campus pastor for Menlo Church in South San Francisco, California. He has been in full-time ministry for the past 17 years, primarily as a worship creative pastor and most recently as a campus pastor. He has worked in both single-site and multi-site churches, having occupied positions with varying campus teams and on the central leadership teams. He is married to his wife of 12 years, Brittany Williams, who is also in full-time ministry, and together they have two children, Micah and Blaze. Tim is passionate about helping others connect deeply with the person of Jesus and in so doing, discover the importance of their unique gifts and calling. Tim specializes in self-leadership, leading through change, creating a multiplying volunteer culture, and leading and managing a thriving staff. Here is my conversation with Tim Williams. Well, hey, Tim, welcome to the Becoming Me podcast. Hey, Emily, thanks for having me. It is so good to have you on the show, and literally in the last few months that I've had the privilege of getting to know you through Jenny Katrin and the Foresight Group, I have learned a ton from you already, <laughs> and I can't wait for our listeners to learn from you as well. Thanks. I'm so, I'm stoked to be here. It's going to be fun. So for those of you who don't know, Tim and I connected with the Foresight Group. We actually right now are leading an online coaching group, and it's been fun. Yeah, it's been great. Really, really fun. Absolutely. So we're diving into all things leadership from self-leadership to teams, 360 leadership, conflict, the fun stuff of leadership. Um, And uh, it's been a pretty cool, cool group so far. So if that's up your alley, um, make sure you check out getforesight.com and you could join us for another group. Um, But Tim, like, let's kick everything off with telling us a little bit about Tim. Who is Tim Williams? Yeah, well, um, I am, you know, in ministry, obviously. I'm a campus pastor at our church. Uh, But more importantly, I'm a husband. So I'm married to my wife, Brittany. We've been married for 12 years. Uh, We got married young, uh, which was great. So when she was 20 and I was 23. And then we've got our two kids, Micah, who's our oldest daughter. She's four. And then we have Blaze, who is a 30-pound, one-year-old, and our just kind of little gorilla man, but is super fun. Um, We live in the San Francisco Bay Area. We've been here for the last nine years, but uh, we're originally from Washington State. Uh, I grew up in a really small town in central Washington called Kashmir. Most people probably have never heard of it, but it's... You know, like the sweater cashmere. Um, That's awesome. And then went to school in Seattle. Uh, I'm a pastor's kid. So my dad was the pastor of a church for 30 years, an Assemblies of God church. So grew up an Assemblies of God kid. I went to an Assemblies of God uh, college. Um, But now I'm in um, a different denomination and working here at Menlo Church, which has been great. But yeah, I, uh, you know, was primarily uh, a worship leader, worship pastor, and kind of got started with that all the way back in middle school um, and then started working for my dad uh, and for the board of our church, you know, when I was like 16 or 17. So 
uh, kept working for them, you know, all throughout college and all that met my wife and yeah, so that's a little bit, a little bit about me. Uh, I love our church. I love, you know, the mission and vision that we're all about here. And, um, I would say I'd consider myself an egalitarian, uh, yeah. <laughs> And, um, you know, just a fun little fact is I, I like alternative rock from the early no 2000s. Way. So that's kind of my jam. I, uh, now that I'm not a worship pastor anymore, I don't feel that like <laughs> obligation to stay relevant with all the new music that's coming oh, out, man. although I love it. But uh, I could, you know, I find myself just really enjoying, you know, throwing back to the good old, good old stuff. So that's awesome. <laughs> I did not know that fact about you. Yeah, well, you know. It's gotta, you gotta, gotta keep it real. <laughs> I love it. And when we had first met, you know, and you shared that you were a pastor's kid too, I remember yeah. getting so excited because I'm a PK. Yeah. And uh, when you meet other PKs who are still in ministry, um, because now they're choosing to be in ministry, I think that's special um, and speaks a lot about your parents and how you grew up as well. Yeah. Because you know, pastor's kids, we can either love or hate this thing. And, yeah, totally. You uh, we're kind both, of, um, yeah. We, yeah, we see like all the bad and the good, you know? Right. And so the the idea that we still, I think, choose choose it, choose to be a part of it, believe in it, love it, or passionate about it, you know, that's a, that's a real good thing. Absolutely. So, you know, I would love for you to unpack for us your story. What has made Tim who Tim is today? Yeah. Um, well, I think, you know, we all, we all sort of come prepackaged, I think with, you know, with different personalities and wiring and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, growing up as a pastor's kid was incredibly formational for me, um, growing up, not just on the front row of my parents' uh, church, but really of their lives, you know, um, seeing them on and off the stage. My dad was a worship pastor for many years before he became a lead pastor, and so, you know, he was, I would say the thing that was most just kind of striking when I think about my dad is, uh, you know, his outsides really matched his insides. You know, what you saw on the stage was really who he was at home, you know. Um, and that, I think, was incredibly significant for my formation and also for, you know, what led me to, to still just love Jesus, love the church, believe in what we're doing and you know, nobody's perfect. My dad had lots of flaws. And, um, but I think that, you know, he had a a tremendous influence on the person that I am today, you know, uh, and also growing up in a small church, you know, like our church was not, we were in a small town, Kashmir, I think, you know, population is like 2,600 people or 2,500. And our church was when he, when we first moved there, when I was very little, you know, it was like 50 people and it grew over the years to, you know, be about 300 or something, which was pretty big for our town. But I think being in a small church, you know, you kind of just, you really learn what it means to give your life for a community. You know, uh, it's not necessarily about like, you know, the, uh, just your you know, achieving anything particularly significant other than just having an effectiveness for the kingdom in people's lives, you know, Um, because there isn't, you know, hundreds of thousands of people that live within a 10 mile radius that are going to come and somehow, you know, woo you into this, you know, idea of being somebody famous or something. So I think that like seeing my dad 
give himself to a community just purely for the sake of calling and love, you know, was really formational for me. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm a musician, I'm an artist, I'm a creative, I love music, I love art, I love people, I love uh, expression in that way. And so I've always kind of been wired that way. Um, uh, so, you know, I think growing up in a small town, you there's there's some advantages and disadvantages, you're not exposed to like a really you know, a culture that's thriving with artists, you know, but at the same time, there's not a lot of distractions from engaging with creativity and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I would say that's, you know, that was, that was a big part of it. And my wife, you know, getting married when we were young, she probably more than any single person in my life has influenced the person that I've become more than anybody else. So, you know, when you get, when you're 23 and 20 and you get married, you have no idea what you're doing or who you are. And you're, you know, signing up to be on this journey together, trusting the creativity of God that he can bring all the hopes and dreams you have in each one of your hearts and somehow make something incredible and beautiful and, and inclusive of both of your calling and giftings, you know? So that, you know, she's, she's a remarkable person. I, a lot of people kind of say, you know, that a lot of guys say they married up, but I actually married up. She's just, yeah, she's a, she's pretty special. So we have a lot of fun together. She's a, you know, a strong independent woman, which I love, um, you know, women like that. I'm a huge supporter of that. And so we, you know, we get along quite well. And I think that more than anything, we sort of sharpen each other and shape each other and give each other feedback and influence one another's sort of thinking and development in significant ways. So that's, you know, that's been, it's been pretty fun, but yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, working for my dad, uh, I worked for him for seven years. And as you know, you know, working for your dad is, is fun and special and also really hard because, you know, a lot of the things in them, that make them who they are, are, you know, you have slivers of that in yourself. And oftentimes those are the areas where you collide most acutely, you know, you're kind of even sometimes subconsciously working from the same sort of like operating system, but not always pulling towards the same thing. So that can create lots of challenge. And, um, but I, you know, those years I worked for my dad were incredibly formative. I value them and treasure them. Uh, but I'm I'm also really grateful that I don't work for him or that, you know, that it wasn't a, a forever kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. That's awesome. You know, you, you talked a lot about um, who you are and who you're becoming and even how your wife had that influence on you. So what does becoming me mean to you? Yeah, I think the idea of becoming is so good and important. And I love that that's the name of this uh, podcast that, you know, we're always becoming somebody. We are always being, uh, what I would say is spiritually formed, whether intentionally or unintentionally, we're always receiving spiritual formation, you know, whether it's passively or actively. So, you know, the Netflix shows that you watch or, you know, the podcasts that you listen to, the books that you read, the people that you give uh, influence in your life and shape the framework of your thinking. That's all a part of becoming. And Jesus, I mean, this is kind of the central message 
of Jesus. Um, and, you know, the writers of the New Testament throughout, we see this, that, you know, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about uh, a tree, you know, he says like, um, you know, uh, a good tree will produce good fruit, a bad tree will produce bad fruit. Uh, a good tree cannot produce bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. By their fruit, you'll recognize them. He's kind of saying, watch out for false prophets, which a prophet is basically anyone who tells you how to live, you know? So I think that what we see in that is that we all have an inside and we all have an outside, you know? And uh, a lot of sort of the the easy uh, sort of temptation, I think, for especially for people in any kind of public position and ministry where you're influencing other people is to you know, become more preoccupied with managing the outside, you know, um, and Jesus in the whole Sermon on the Mount, you know, kind of re reorients the focus of the lens to focusing on your insides and reordering your life around how do you become the kind of person um, who is a good person. And it's like you, you know, it's not just about doing good things and avoiding bad things. It's about becoming the kind of person who, you know, your natural sort of constant flow of intentions and thoughts and feelings would naturally lead you to want to choose good things. Um, and although that's not entirely up to, you know, an act of our will, uh, we're not exactly passive in it either, you know, and so we can take proactive measures to ordering our lives in such a way that allows God access to those parts of who we're becoming. And it's so interesting because, you know, people will, people will buy, you know, like really a really nice car and they'll care so much about the kind of fuel they put in, how they take care of the engine. They'll have their pets that they just obsess over and love and we feed them this kind of food, uh, you know, but when it comes to kind of the person that we're becoming, a lot of people are kind of utterly careless about it, you know, just sort of like, yeah, I'm assuming. And, and I think especially for Christians, we can kind of kind of buy into uh, what you might call magical thinking, you know, that it's like, I'm, I'm sort of not really paying attention to the decisions that I'm making, but I'm, I'm praying that God will somehow work it all out. You know, like I'm, I am asking God to fill me with the Holy Spirit. I go to church, I worship, you know, but when it comes to sort of taking a hard look at my life and the things that are coming out of me and that flow, right? That flow of thoughts, feelings, intentions, um, desires, we're not doing a lot of work all the time, you know, around that. And I think that's what kind of Jesus calls us to. I think that's what the writers in the early church call us to as well. Makes you th me think a lot about um, your take on self-leadership as well. And it seems like and it not seems like it is so true that becoming me is so tied into self-leadership. Because even as you pointed out, you know, how we open ourselves up or the steps that we're taking um, and the ownership in that. Yeah. I mean, for me, I had kind of a an epiphanal moment with this. I've always been, you know, I like to work hard. I like to, I mean, I like to achieve. I think achiever is one of my, like, uh, my strengths finders, you know, I love working hard, achieving results. And I've always been pretty successful at work, you know, bringing a lot of intentional energy and thoughtfulness and all that. But, you know, in 2013, when Brittany and I had Micah, uh, you know, it, it brought a lot of 
tensions that we had learned to cope with over the years just to the surface. You, you know, when you have a kid, you know, those of you who are listening that have children know you can't really hide anymore from, you know, it's hard to just say, oh, that's okay, because I've got margin to deal with these areas in your life that are, that are hard for me to deal with. When you have kids, it just brings it all right up to the surface and you can't, there's nowhere to hide. And we kind of came to a place of, I think it was very healthy for us. It was really challenging of being able to be just brutally honest about, you know, the things that we were struggling with in each other. And one of the things that Brittany had said to me for many years, and this kind of came to a head here was, you know, and a lot of people hear this, we hear this in a lot of marriages, but it's like you bring all your energy to work, to the ministry, you're giving 100% there, you set goals, you deliver results. I was, I'm kind of known as the guy who delivers, you know, it's like put Tim on something and it'll get done. But at home, you know, I'm, I get home, I'm tired, I want me time, I want to refill my cup, I want to watch my TV shows or have my time or whatever. Uh, but I wasn't, you know, her thing to feedback to me was, you know, I feel like we just get the leftovers, like you're coming home and we get the last whatever it is you might have. And I just had this thought of, you know, what if, what if I did, you know, bring the same kind of proactivity, strategic thinking and self sort of accountability to home that I do to work, like, even like 10 or 15% of my energy, you know, it's like, even that, like, I could have an incredible marriage, maybe, you know, I could have, I could be a great dad. And so I started, you know, kind of this journey of setting goals for myself, just like I do at work. I mean, there's no, nobody would balk at the idea of, hey, at work, you should set goals and deliver. Sometimes we get a little bit, you know, uh, trepidatious about the idea of like, hey, you should like have spiritual goals and all that, because I think we don't want to be legalistic, you know. However, I think if you approach it from a, a posture of like being a good steward and kind of having fun with it, it can be, it can yield a lot of great fruit. So that was, that was kind of a moment for me that set me on a different trajectory uh, of proactivity and sort of like, for, you know, thinking ahead at home that has yielded just in incredible results for, for us and for me just personally. That's huge. I absolutely love that. You know, if you were having a cup of coffee with another person, they're on their own becoming journey. What would you say to encourage them? Well, I, I would start by just saying, you know, the good news is that God is committed to you for the long haul, yes. you know, and I think sometimes we get so far down in the weeds of our situation that, it, you know, the tyranny of the urgent kind of take over and we, we get caught up in the emotions of whatever it is we're facing. And we think that the rest of our lives, you know, rests upon this one thing, whatever it is. And I just always think it's a good reminder to remember that the kingdom of God is not under threat, you know, like you, the grace of God in your life and, you know, his posture of love, which is his posture of willing and working for the good in your life is not under threat. That's not going to change. So to just start with that blanket statement, but also to encourage people to begin to turn the attention of your energy uh, not toward what you're producing um, or what you're achieving, but to who you are, right? That constant, as I said, that constant stream of thoughts, feelings, intentions, desires, and begin begin experimenting with ordering your life in such a way that, you know, allows God to have greater access to renewing your insides and just start paying attention, you know, start 
start paying attention to, you know, what kind of really steams you, you know, in those moments when you get upset and you feel like, you know, or what, whatever it may be, I would just say like kind of just shifting the spotlight of your attention a little bit away from just what you're achieving and working towards and assuming that all of sort of the value God puts on your life is on that and just put that attention on, you know, the person you're becoming. Because the most significant thing that God will get out of your life is the person you're becoming. It's not anything you can or I can do for him. Mm, that's so good. You know, if, if somebody was listening right now and they're like, yeah, Tim, that's great, you know, and shifting the perspective and really looking at who I am and the things that fire me up or don't fire me up and who I'm becoming on the inside, but they don't know where to start. What are some practical ways that someone can begin leading themselves and getting to know, you know, who they are on the inside and those steps that you talked about in focusing on who you're becoming, not necessarily what you're producing? Yeah. Uh, I think that the first step is to make sure you, you know, that you allocate the energy and like in your mind, you say, okay, this is going to take work. You know, this is actually going to take time. This isn't going to be something I can achieve sort of passively. Um, but I think some really great steps are, you know, conducting a, what I call a ruthless moral inventory, you know, of your personal, of yourself and, um, you know, kind of the, the sins that easily beset you. I think that's, that's something that's really hard to do, but really taking a hard look inside and saying, you know, okay, I struggle with these things. These are areas that are challenging for me. Um, and doing like a personal time and energy allocation analysis, for lack of a better word, you know, like saying, okay, you know, what do I spend my time with? I mean, that was kind of what happened when I talked to Brittany, you know, in 2013 was like, okay, like, what am I actually doing? You know, when I get home, what, where is my energy going? Because it's going somewhere. Um, and start to just, I think before you start to change where that energy is going, before you start to try and address maybe, you know, where the areas of struggle, just start to, to like see it, get the data, you know, recognize it first <laughs> and, and just sit with it and look at it, explore your strengths, you know, examine those areas of weakness. I think inviting other people into that process is super critical, you know, like asking for feedback, um, from people that are really close to you that know you really well, just, and that can be as easy as saying to a really close friend, like, Hey, you know, I would love to just get coffee with you in here. Like, how do you experience me? What do you see in me that I are areas where I could grow or develop? Or when do you find it challenging to interact with me? Or, you know, where do you see me really, you know, winning in my life? Or am I naturally kind of like inclined to just kill it in areas of my life, you know, and just kind of start to, to learn. There's some great tools out there, of course, you know, Myers-Briggs, Enneagram, um, spiritual gift test, strength finders I mentioned. I think that's a great place to Absolutely. start. Absolutely. I love yeah. that question that you said, how do you experience me? That's such a good way to word it too, because you're not, you're taking away the defenses where somebody would maybe feel like, oh, how should I really answer this question? And just how do you experience me? That's genius. I love that. Yeah, it, it's really helpful. I mean, especially with me and Brittany. And now we're getting to the place where it's, and we've been married for a while, but it's like, I can recognize it. She's aware of it. And same with her, you know, where it's like, <laughs> you know, just if, if I'm, 
with the kids in the morning and I feel my, my fuse starting to shorten, you know, that I can just say, Hey, like, I just need, I need five minutes, you know, because I want to, I don't want to, you know, (laughs) I want to steward well, like this moment with my kids and I want to be the kind of person that loves them, you know, which is willing and working for their good in this moment. And maybe the best thing for me to do is just take a, take five, you know, or whatever. So can no, be you're 100% right. Helpful tools there. You mentioned the Enneagram, and this is something we use a lot even in the Foresight group and our mm-hmm. online coaching group as well. So which number, which type are you? I am a seven. Okay. Um, I'm a seven uh, with a six wing, I believe. Some people think I have an eight wing, but the, the test would disagree. Uh, <laughs> but I, yeah, so a seven, the enthusiast, um, yep. you know, I'm kind of... You know, you talk about like people being either a cup is half empty, cup uh-huh. is half full. I'm sort of just like a cup is always overflowing kind of guy. That's awesome. I, I just love, you know, people, life. Uh, faith is my top spiritual gift. So I mm. just kind of like have this resilient belief that everything's going to be great. And I don't know how I got hardwired with that, but that's, uh, yeah. Hey, that's awesome. <laughs> so on the flip side, what is Brittany, your wife's Enneagram type? Do you know? Yeah, she's a two. Okay. Um, so she, you know, just like the helper, which is really interesting because she's a very like strong, independent uh-huh. person, you know, yeah. um, but I, there's different, there's kind of two different classifications of helpers. One is sort of like the, you know, like the host acts of service type helper. And the other is kind of more of like the emotional side of it, which is like, and my wife has her master's uh, in marriage and family therapy. Oh, cool. And she loves people. She's very, very sharp, but just really, you know, mercy, I think, is like her top spiritual gift. So she's wow. just like very empathetic, um, which is great. I need that. I need a lot of mercy and grace. <laughs> but we, yeah, I mean, we've had a we've had a ton of fun. The interesting thing is even though those are our, our Enneagram, we actually have the same uh, pretty much the same Myers-Briggs makeup. No way. What yeah, is your Myers-Briggs? So I tested as an ENFJ. Okay. Um, um, you know, but I'm actually, I'm under, I'm pretty much under five points on each one of those. So okay. I kind of just like, I'm just riding in the middle. And she tested as an ENFP, but she's not a very strong P and I'm not a very strong J. So Interesting. Yeah. So we, you know, I've heard this marriage advice and I actually really believe it. It's like the more you have in common, the better, because the less you'll fight about things, <laughs> which <laughs> is just kind of true. We just like, you know, give it any, any particular day off or anything. You know, we typically kind of just want to, we see it in an ideal world kind of going the same way. And that, that's been helpful. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. I've been loving diving into the Enneagram even more over the last several weeks, um, particularly with our group. And then also in my role at Church of Hope in leading our team, we're leaning into the Enneagram and understanding everyone's types. And because, yeah. you know, in leading you, you have to know, like you've said in this episode, who you are on the inside and then knowing who other people are, at least their makeup, according to Enneagram, Myers-Briggs, whatever the case may be, helps so much in relating and communicating to um, and just seeing the bigger picture of how all the different puzzle pieces can work even better together. Yeah. Um, That's why I love, you know, these tools. I am a type one on the Enneagram 
Yep. Nice. And it's <laughs> awesome. Yep. So I'm that reformer perfectionist. And then on Myers Briggs, I'm an INTJ. Oh. Yeah. Nice. So that's kind of where I fall on on both of those. Um, what would be a handful of your favorite go-to resources for self-leadership, um, leading Tim better? Yeah. Um, well, I would say like, you know, there's some great books out there. My, I would say my favorite book right now around this topic is called The Road to Character by David Brooks. Um, and he, you know, in the intro, he kind of really lays out what he's going to be talking about in the whole book, which is this idea that so many people uh, spend their lives working and pursuing uh, the development of what he calls resume virtues, right? Which is kind of what we're talking about with achievement and all that. But that really we would be better off, you know, devoting our energy and time towards developing eulogy virtues. So, hmm. you know, the oh, things wow. that, That's good. The, yeah, the things that people would say about you sort of at the end of your life, because nobody at the end of your life, you know, uh, is going to be laying on their deathbed saying, man, I just wish I would have stayed at work a little longer. You know, I, yeah. I wish I would have worked a little harder on that project. You know, oftentimes you're, you're thinking about relationships, you're thinking about people and, um, you know, kind of those, those virtues that aren't necessarily related to it, just achievement. So the road to character is great. The Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard is a fantastic book that kind of dives into the Sermon on the Mount. Um, I, my like staple sort of like book that I just love and I've read it many times is The Seven Habits of a Highly Effective, oh, uh, highly yes. effective People uh, by Covey. It's just great. And I think you, you just can't go wrong um, with kind of those principles. And uh, he, he presents a lot of, um, you know, great questions to think about and consider that I think are really applicable to this topic. So those are some good ones. You know, I love uh, A.W. Tozer as well. The Pursuit of God, I think is a great book in, in sort of like giving us a good framework of thinking around pursuing what it really means to be a disciple of Jesus. Um, so those are some good, those are some good books. I think, you know, I love listening to leadership podcasts. I love the Andy Stanley leadership podcasts. I love Craig Rochelle Leadership Podcast. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a big Hillsong fan, so I love Brian Houston. You know, he just dropped a new book, which is great. Um, so, yeah, I'd say those are some those are some good things. Those are good places great. To start. Thank you so much. I mean, and thank you for sharing both that practical and the personal side, which I love so much about how you unpack self-leadership and sharing your personal journey, discovering who God made you to be, and then bringing us along for practical stuff so we could walk away going, you know, hey, we have a next step. I can discover how to do this too. Um, so I really appreciate that. Thank you for being on the Becoming Me podcast today, Tim. I, I, I loved our conversation. Yeah, thanks, Emily. I had, a, I had a ton of fun. To learn more about Tim and connect with him, visit the podcast episode page on our website at creativechurch.com. That's C-R-T-V-Church.com. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Becoming Me podcast on the Creative Church Podcast Network. For more information about Becoming Me, visit us at becomingme.tv. Also, connect with us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook with at becomingme.tv. 
and connect with us at creativechurch.com. Again, that's crtvchurch.com. You can also check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Creative Church.